The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, You are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, it's good to be with the 5 p.m. Sunday Mass crowd. I know it's been a while since I've celebrated this Mass. It's been a, almost about a month since I've been with you. So I, be, I got back about two weeks ago, but just the way I had the, how the Mass schedule worked, I, I've been here, but I just haven't done the 5 p.m. Mass. But then prior to arriving back. I was on vacation for the past three weeks. I've been up in the mountains of Wyoming backpacking and working with Wyoming Catholic College, which is a, a small Catholic liberal arts school in western Wyoming, and so it's always one of the great pleasures when I get to work with them. So we've been up in the backcountry of the Wind River Range. If you've ever been there before, it's probably one of the most beautiful places on earth. Literally, it's one of the most spectacular places up in the high mountains. So luckily to be alive and back with all of you. But before we dive into these beautiful readings today, just a brief announcement. We announced it maybe a few weeks ago, but we're adding an extra daily Mass to our Mass schedule. Because I, I, I'm firmly convicted that the answer to all of the problems of our age, from the fragmentation, the sense of loneliness, the divisions, the lack of higher purpose amongst a lot of our brothers and sisters, that the answer is Jesus Christ, firmly. We need more Jesus, not less, in our lives. And when you look at the mass schedule, when I first got here over a year ago, I was looking at the different mass schedules in Dixon, St. Joseph's, even in Fairfield. If you go to school or you go to work, it's hard for you to go to a daily Mass because they're all, they're all around 8 o'clock. Well, if you have a normal 9 to 5, there's hardly a chance for you to go. And so I need to match 
my actions, my words rather, with action. So beginning of next month, and we'll try this for the next, hopefully forever, but every Wednesday now, we're adding a 6.30 a.m. Mass. Ideally, this will be hopefully to draw commuters, to draw students, because if indeed, if I'm going to encourage you, go to Mass, go to Mass, go to Mass, well, I need to match it then. I need to provide more opportunities for you to receive Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And so, 6.30 a.m., beginning in September, every Wednesday, we're adding, in addition to the 8 a.m. Mass, so I'll, lose, I'll happily lose sleep to give you Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And so now, come. Receive Jesus Christ before you go to work. Because we need more Jesus in our lives, not less. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Something amazing is happening. So next month, along with that addition of the early Mass, we're going to begin our RCIA program. RCIA is, is the, the program where people who are interested in becoming Catholic, they have a period of formation of classes, and it all, it's all working towards the next Easter Vigil where we receive new Catholics, new converts into the church. And I just heard from Wyman. Wyman is, is our our head leader who organizes the RCIA program, that this year we are having the largest class in recent memory of our parish. Over 20 people so far, and I hope to push that number, by the way, from 20 to 50. <laughs> I want to go big. That nearly 20 people are converting to the Catholic Church just in our parish. It's the largest we've ever had in recent memory. And which leads to another great question. Why are you Catholic? If somebody on the street were to come up to you, because they know you go, you're, you're faithful St. Mary's parishioners, they were to come up to you and say, hey, I, I, know, I, I hear you go to Mass all the time, you go to, you go to church here at that beautiful parish at St. Mary's across town. Why are you Catholic? How would we answer that question? Because we have to have a ready answer to that. Why? Because as you all know, on any given Sunday, you can drive around town and oh, you have so many different options, don't you? You have a lot of different options to go to a Sunday service other than St. Mary's. And so how do you answer that question? I dare say it has to be more than our preference. Although it's all good and, and, and it's right, we all humans to have preferences. But it can't be the preacher or the pastor. Because you go somewhere else, you'll find a better preacher. It can't be the holiness of your priests either, because you'll definitely find holier people out there. It can't be the music. Why? Because there's somewhere else you'll have a bigger band, a 
you'll have better, more maybe uplifting contemporary music. It can't be the pews, because as we all know, we have these hard old pews here. Some churches have recliners, recliners with cushions. Could you imagine that if we had that here in this church? Oh, you fall asleep even faster than you, than you already do. Huh? Oh, in some churches, you'll have, you have a coffee shop in the front, and you can bring in your lattes and sit down and relax. <laughs> it can't be our youth group, because if you go somewhere else, you'll probably find a more active youth group or funder activities. But why are you Catholic? And I think we have to go deeper than because my desires. If you're like me, most of us will probably answer that question, especially when I was a kid growing up. If somebody would come up to me as a teenager, it's like, hey, why do you go to church? Why do you go to Catholic Mass? Why are you Catholic? And for most of us, we'll probably normally say, oh, because of my parents. Because <laughs> for most of us, how we receive the, the beauty of the Catholic faith is that it's been handed down to us from our parents. Our grandparents, our great-grandparents. Many of us come from countries, if we immigrated here to the United States, from nations that have been profoundly shaped by the Catholic Church for centuries. And our ancestors heroically passed on the Catholic faith to us. And for that, we are grateful. But why are you Catholic? The answer is in our gospel today. It's a famous gospel, from the gospel of Matthew. And remember, to penetrate the depths and the richness of sacred scripture, especially the gospel of Matthew, we must always look at it through a Jewish lens. Because the gospel of Matthew was written for a Jewish audience. Matthew wrote his gospel for those Jews who were converting to Christianity. And so to penetrate the depths and to unravel the layers of meaning, Look at it through the eyes of a Jewish person, especially of the first century. So Matthew now writing says, Jesus is in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he's gathered with his apostles and he asks them a very provocative question. Who do people say that I am? What is my identity? And they give them the whole range of answers that were floating around in the ancient world. So some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah or Jeremiah, or one of the great prophets. So they're listing all of the prophets of Israel. But then he deepens the question. Squarely looking at them, he asks, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon speaks up. You are the Christ, 
the son of the living God? Simon gets the answer correct, but not because he's smart or because he's wiser than everybody else, but rather Jesus himself said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father. So this proclamation of getting this answer correct and recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, God in the flesh, ultimately is a gift from above, that it is a gift of faith. And then, now, Jesus takes Peter's proclamation of the identity of who he is, and then, all of a sudden, look what happens next. I say to you, you are Peter. So Jesus changes his name. And remember, through the eyes of a first century Jew, whenever God changes someone's name, it means that he's building something new. So again, first century Jewish lens, Jesus just changed the name of Simon to Peter. God is building something. And then he says, you are now Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. There it is. Upon the rock of Peter, he will build his church. And the gates of the netherworld shall never prevail against it. Or beautifully, in some translations, it says more intensely, and the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. Never. And then the next line. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The word keys. Now looking at it through the lens of a first century Jew, immediately, what would he have thought if we were there and hearing these words? That Jesus just gave Peter the keys. My mind would have immediately went to the first reading today, which is why we have the first reading as it is. Only in Isaiah chapter 22 does the word keys come into play. And so when Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom, he's referring to the context of this first reading. Because he who has the keys, as we, as we hear, has the authority on earth to exercise what we call in Hebrew halakha, which is the application of the divine law in our everyday life. So the person with the keys has authority on earth given to him from the king. And so Jesus now says to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Meaning Peter has authority as the head of this church which he is building upon him. From Peter all the way to Pope Francis, do any of you Catholic nerds in here know how many popes we've had since Peter? Don't look it up on your phones. Put your phones away. Pope Francis, successor of Peter, 
is the 266th Pope. A direct line from Peter all the way through. For 2,000 years, an unbroken line of succession. But then now, people will say, oh, we don't need a pope. Pope simply means father, by the way. Simply means father. But we don't need a pope over the church. For the sake of argument, all right, let's remove Peter from the church. Who now has the authority to govern the church or to see what is true doctrine and what is not? Well, let me put it another way. Do you know what unites Islam in the 7th century, what unites the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther in the 16th century, or what unites Joseph Smith, who started Mormonism in the, in the 19th century? What unites all of these different groups is that they believe that indeed that the gates of hell did prevail against the church. That Islam is, is an, according to Muhammad, is the restoration of the church, which had been corrupted for 600 years, according to him. Or the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, who said that for 1900 years, after the death of the last apostles, Christianity became corrupted, and then he became the new authority to establish a new church. Or Martin Luther in the 16th century who said, for 1,500 years, Christianity had been co become corrupted. If that's the case then, the authority now becomes whoever, has, whoever makes himself the authority. You see, immediately, once you get outside of Peter, it's a free-for-all. It becomes whoever wants to make up Christian doctrine, whoever the next person who, to rise up against says, no, now I have the true teaching of the church. How many figures of history have done that? Oh, we have a whole list of them. But then we always must go back Go back to this gospel of Matthew. He says to Peter, I will build my church upon you, and you have the kingdom, the keys to this kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The role of Peter is to safeguard the faith and its purity. This doesn't mean that any pope can come along and just start changing church teaching. No, that's not the job of the pope. That's a misunderstanding of the papacy. Pope Francis is supposed to guard the faith. No pope can change church teaching. And here is the beauty of our Catholic faith. It is absolutely stunning. We teach the same teachings from the first century to the fifth, to the sixth, to the eighth, to the 10th, to the 21st, 
to the 25th century into the future, the Catholic Church will always teach the same. We cannot change our doctrine. The popes are to safeguard it and to protect it and to apply it to our daily lives. Well, what does it mean? Oh, but, but, but Father, we've had bad popes in church history. Absolutely. Especially during the Renaissance period. But amazingly, even though the Pope's personal behavior did not meet the high standard of Peter, they never taught heresy. If someone were to ask you, why are you Catholic? There's only one answer. Because of Jesus Christ. He founded this church. Why would I go against him?